We are going to look at a passage of scripture that uh, every one of you probably know by heart. Y'all can probably quote it to me. We're going to uh, John chapter 3. It's been a long time since uh, I looked at, uh, I used these notes. They were, I was telling uh, my brother there that it's been 20 some odd years before I pulled them out. But uh, in John chapter 3, some of my, that's my favorite passage. You know, John, John uh, he loves the Lord. He loved, he still does. I, I'm using present tense. All right, let's look at uh, John chapter 3, beginning verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, that's emphatic, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, I pray tonight that we'll just glean some things from your word that will help us each to be brighter lights and better servants for thee. This is a familiar passage, but there's so much in your word. And I pray with the psalmist that you'd open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. And all God's people said? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. All right, I'll say it for you. Okay. Um, so the Bible uh, centers on Christ. You know, there's some, I've heard a lot of preachers say that uh, it's history. And if you split it up, it's his story is what the Bible is all about. So the Old Testament points to his coming. The New Testament records it. His work, the miracles that he wrought, the victories that he won. 
He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived among men, and died on Calvary's cross for the sin of the world. You know, the, the Word of God says in Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Of course, at the end of that, Paul added, whom I am chief. So, I, and I've heard people say, do you think he really believed he was the chief of sinners? Well, Paul never forgot that he had Christians put to death when he was Saul. He never forgot his past. The Lord forgave him of it. But I, I believe he thought he was the chief of sinners because uh, of one simple fact. The closer you get to Christ, the, the worse you look. And Paul was really close. The closer we draw to our, our lovely Savior and our lovely Lord, the worse we look in our own eyes. We see how far short we fall. All right. He replaces hate with love, despair with hope, lust with purity, cynicism with optimism. He converted a monk into Luther, Saul into Paul, an old ball, a crusty ball player, a, a foul-mouthed ball player into Billy Sunday. He gives victories for defeat, salvation for damnation, heaven for hell. So, uh, what a Savior, that's all I can say. But this passage here, if I was going to title this, this uh, message, it would be, The Man Who Had Everything and Nothing. The man who had everything and nothing. Nicodemus, one of my favorite Bible characters, he, he was a leading Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, they, they, made all, they were in control of all the uh, spiritual, religious, excuse me, not spiritual, religious decisions, any, any uh, problems in, the, in their uh, religion, they, they had to settle it. So here he was. He was rich, and uh, he was a ruler, member of the Sanhedrin. But you know what? God is no respecter of persons, is he? He views and loves each one of us equally. He's not, uh, he, he, he loves the, all the lost folks we see. I, I taught a Sunday school lesson here recently about loving people that are hard to love. I tried to get my wife to preach to teach it, so because she's an expert. Amen. But, <laughs> but uh, we have to realize that God loves every person that we come in contact with, no matter what our opinion of them. Every last one of them. Amen, the Lord Jesus died for them. Yep. He went to Calvary for them, just as well as you. So. Sweetest note in Sarah's song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol ever sung, Jesus, blessed Jesus. All right, here we go. So Nicodemus came to him, the same came to Jesus by night. Oh, have we heard about that? How, how uh, Nicodemus came by night. What a coward, right? Uh, I don't think so. I think... Uh, we probably would have done the same thing. He wanted to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. Every, every time he saw the Lord, where, what was there? Crowds, people, and, and, and the throngs were there. 
people wanting to see the miracles. And uh, so he wanted to have some private time with him. But I will uh, suggest one other reason that uh, it's noteworthy that he came by night. And I've always thought this, that God is accessible 24-7, 365 days a year. Amen. Amen? Anytime we can come to God. So that's the way I like to look at it. So the same came to Jesus by night, the elder to the younger, rich to someone with no earthly possessions. He recognized God's power, and he wanted to be taught. Now, there was the problem. He said, Rabbi, we know that thou, thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And uh, a lot of people want to be taught, don't they? There are a lot of folks that uh, are very religious, but they're not saved. He recognized God's power and wanted to be taught. Acts 2.22 says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. John 7.46 says, Never man spake like this man. But so many folks just want to learn. They want to be taught. They don't have, they don't have the Holy Spirit because they're not saved. And... Uh, they go down deep and they stay long and they come up dry. But in Christianity, you know, I know a lot of Christians that know a lot of Scripture. But they still don't have, have a, they still don't show the Christian life. They just, Christ doesn't shine through them. See, because they're not mature. What's it take to be a mature Christian? What's it take? I mean, do you have to, you have to, you, you got to learn the scriptures, right? I mean, we teach scripture, they're teaching scripture uh, in the next rooms over here, and we need to learn the scriptures, right? Paul said Finally, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And it will. But we can learn all the scripture we want to and still be walking in the flesh because uh, of the big sin in Christianity today. It's called unlived truth. See, we know more then we obey. We come to church and we want to learn more and we want to learn more and more and more and more, but are we obeying what we already know? Mm -hmm. Jesus said, Verily, verily, emphatic, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In Proverbs 4.19, it says, The way of the wicked is of darkness. They know not at what they stumble. They trip over the simplicity of the gospel. But we, we need to first, the Lord Jesus is telling them, you don't need a teacher, you need salvation. 
Then you need a teacher. So in verse 4, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He didn't understand. And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And you all all know what he's talking about there, the natural birth and then being the spiritual birth through faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, if you flip back a couple of pages, if you're looking in your Bible, back to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it says in verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name through faith. People that come to him by faith, he gives them power to become the sons of God. They receive the Holy Spirit. So, in the next verse it says, Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, I thought the blood was important in our, in our salvation. Well, it's not, that's not the blood he's talking about which were born, not of blood. What's he talking about there? Parentage. Your mama and your daddy could have been the greatest Christians on the face of the earth. A man and a woman can have 12 children, and if none of them accept Christ, they're all going, they're all going to hell. And the man and woman can go to heaven. So not just because your parents or uh, your relatives are, are Christians, that doesn't make you one. You're raised, raised by two people that were Christians. Christianity isn't an individual thing. So, not of blood, not of parentage, nor the will of the flesh. What's that mean? Not by saying so. I mean, I can. the rodeo's going on now, Okay. I can go to Cavender's and I can go all over the place and buy me, buy me some cowboy boots, a cowboy hat, and uh, I might even buy a saddle if I want to, and, and uh, leather gloves, do all kinds of things, get me a rope, and call myself a cowboy. But I guarantee you I'm not. <laughs> I'm a city boy. But not by the will of the flesh. I can't just decide that I'm a cowboy. Cowboys are trained. Cowboys come up. So not by saying so. Nor by the will of man. That's what that verse says. What's that talking about? Well, that's a ecclesiastical order, rites, rituals. I mean, that's not going to get me into heaven either. There's only one way to be born again. So... In verse 6, the Lord Jesus said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's deep, isn't it? Flesh is flesh. Now you can take it to church, but it's still flesh. You can baptize it. It's wet flesh. You can make it religious. It's religious flesh. But it's still flesh. 
the best of men are men at best. So salvation only comes through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in him. He said, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The man who is born once is destined to die twice. And everybody in this room knows that, I know. In uh, Revelation 20 and verses 13, well, let's see, yeah, 12, I'll start at 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The second death. So there, if, you're born, if you're born twice, you die once. If the Lord tarries, I'm holding on. <laughs> I hope I'm here when he comes. So, but I'll take the six-foot head start if I have to. All right. Now, now we're getting into yours, okay? Yes, this is a salvation passage, but there's something in here for us. Verse 8. If you're, if you're looking at it, you can uh, read along with me here. In uh, 3.8, it says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That's you and me, if you're saved. You can't see the wind, but you can recognize its power. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see his influence in, God, in the lives of God's people. At least you should be. So there should be a difference. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, I believe it is. Yeah, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says, I'm going to go back to 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Does that make sense? Christ died for the sin of the world. That meant the whole world was lost. Everybody. And everybody in it needs salvation. He said, because we thus judge, if one died for all, then, all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, the, uh, the first verse said there's a change needed, and then we're seeing the evidence of the change. And here's the change wrought in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the method of change in verse 19. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Glory to God, I thank him for the day that I opened my eyes and realized that Christ died for me. 
I've heard all my life that Christ died for the sin of the world. That's pretty easy. You know, you can walk along and be comfortable. He died for me. And that's what each one of us has to realize. And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Hmm. What's that talking about? Numbers. Look and live in the book of Numbers. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Back in Numbers uh, 21. Here we go. And it says in verse 5 and verse 21, at chapter 21, it says, And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the, the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. So first we see rebellion, then we see re reproof, and now we're seeing repentance. <laughs> they said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. So now we're going to see the remedy. Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Amen. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. That's the remedy. God gave the remedy. Yeah. So, we, so we, had, we had rebellion. We had re repentance. We had uh, the remedy there. So the, the repentance and the remedy. Now, uh, that's what that uh, is talking about in John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So... It brings me to something that uh, Spurgeon wrote. He said, the serpent of brass was made in the likeness of the fiery serpent, but had no poison, no sting. As Christ was made sin for us and yet knew no sin, was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and yet not sinful. It was lifted up on a pole, and so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Every Israelite who looked lived. We must come to Christ on his terms, and then salvation is complete. You see, Spurgeon was explaining what that verse meant about that look. In fact, in a lot of his writings, he, he mentions looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He had a good reason for that. Pardon? Yes, about his salvation? <laughs> Amen. I shared this in class the other day. This is Charles Haddon Spurgeon's personal testimony, and you know he was known as the Prince of Preachers. 
he was 15 years old when he got saved. <laughs> and he had spent five years trying to find out how to be saved. <laughs> he wanted to know how to be saved. So I'm going to, this is going to be in Old English. So he's going to call somebody stupid, but all that means is that they're uneducated back in that day, okay? It isn't like people now saying stupid, you know. Uh, it means that the man lacked a formal education. Words had different meanings back in the day, and you can tell by the language this is back in the 1800s. But it starts out, Look and live, young man, was the direct appeal of the layman preacher in the small Methodist chapel. So Charles H. Spurgeon was saved and became a great preacher who won thousands for Christ. And he did. Uh, when he preached on Sunday, the London newspapers would print his sermons on Monday. He had gone home for the Christmas holidays at the end of 1849 with a firm determination to visit every place of worship in the town in order to find the way of salvation. No record exists of exactly how many chapels he attended, but nowhere, uh, but nowhere could he learn what he wanted to know. The ministers expounded the great truths of the Christian faith, and their sermons were eminently suited for the spiritually-minded people. But what the youth required was knowledge as to how he could get his sins forgiven, and this no man told him. At last there came a day when the hand of God was unmistakably extended to lead Charles Haddon Spurgeon a way he thought not of. He intended to go to a certain chapel some distance from his home and set out upon the road. But a heavy snowstorm came on and prevented him from continuing the journey. He turned into an obscure street and saw at the end of, of a court a little church building which proved to be the Artillery Street Primitive Methodist Chapel. And by the way, the Methodists were the greatest folks about spreading the gospel back in those days and in the early days of the United States. They brought the gospel to everybody they could. All right, uh, the Artillery Street Primitive Methodist Chapel. This church, hitherto known perhaps to few people, even in Colchester, was destined to become world-famed as a result of that visit by the youth of little more than 15 years. He was not prepossessed. See this language? You know that's not mine. He was not prepossessed in its favor as he entered, for he had always heard that the primitive Methodists were people who sang so loudly that they made one's head hurt. But even if this were true, he cared not so long as they taught him how he might be saved. Here is the remainder of the story as told by Spurgeon himself. Okay. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up. There's that old English again. He was snowed in. But anyway, he was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. 
Now it is well that preachers should be instructed. But this man was stupid. That means uneducated. Okay? He was a lay preacher. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. That's just part of it. It's Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Amen. Amen. So he did not, he did not even uh, pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. Look unto me and be ye saved. That's what he wanted. He said, there's a little hope in this. I mean, he's talking about getting saved, so I'm going to listen. Okay, there's a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking ain't taking a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. This is the actual sermon. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You, you may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. <laughs> a man needn't be worth a thousand per year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Aye. Many of you are looking to yourselves, but it's no use but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. He says, come on, you say. We must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. The Spirit will come after you come to Christ. You'll get to know the Father then. You I mean, everything will come in order. So then the good man followed up his text this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner. Look unto me. Look unto me. And when he had gone about that length and managed to spin out about ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me, Spurgeon said, under the gallery, and I, I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. <laughs> but, I, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. Why are anybody talking about it? I did look miserable. However, it was a good blow, struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. 
But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. And I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was possessed with that one thought, like as one when the brazen serpent was lifted up. The people only looked and were healed, and so it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, wanting to know what I had to do to be saved. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I almost could have looked my eyes away. Then in the, there and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away, and at that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung the most enthusiastic, uh, with the most, enthusi the most enthusiastic of them in the of the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the simple faith that looks to Him alone. That happy day when I found the Savior and learned to cling to His uh, dear feet was a day never to be forgotten by me. An obscure child, unknown, unheard of, I listened to the Word of God, and that precious text led me to the cross of Christ. I can testify that the joy of that day was utterly indescribable. I could have leaped. I could have danced. There was no expression, however fanatical, which could have been out of keeping with the joy of my spirit at that hour. Many days of Christian experience have passed since then. But there has never been one which had the full exhilaration, the sparkling delight that first day had. I thought I could have sprung from the seat on which I sat and have called out with the wildest of those Methodist brethren that were present. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. A monument of grace, a sinner saved by blood. Amen. I felt that I was emancipated soul. An heir of heaven, a forgiven one, accepted in Christ Jesus, plucked out of the miry clay and out of the horrible pit, with, with my feet upon the rock and my goings established, I thought I could dance all the way home. I could understand what John Bunyan meant when he declared he wanted to tell the crows in the plowed field all about his conversion. That was, that's his testimony. And the great event took place on the morning of Sunday, January 6th, 1850. And we know the rest of the story. Yes. So, later, he never lost the look. Just like this writing I just, I, I just read to you about the serpent of brass. The serpent of brass was made in the likeness of a fiery serpent but had no poison, no sting. As Christ was made sin for us and yet knew no sin, was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and yet was not sinful. That serpent, it was lifted up on a pole and so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Every Israelite who looked lived and we must come to Christ on his terms. Salvation is complete. So he, he, Never forgot. 
Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. That verse was burned into my memory when I was walking guard duty in Bible college. I had 47 acres to guard and I had to go through seven buildings and they had scriptures on the wall and that one was in a prominent place. Every night I'd walk by and there it is. <laughs> so I learned that, lesson, that one a long time ago. But we, we see what the Lord says here. He says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. At the end of the passage we read, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's by faith. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him alone. And that verse is special to me too because I remember uh, my pastor when I was in Bible college, that verse, he burned that one into my memory. Because uh, there was a woman in our church that her husband was lost and he wasn't a, the best type of a man, drinker and everything else. The pastor ha had tried to witness to him a number of times at her request. She kept asking him, come and, come and talk to my husband, please. And he'd gone by there numerous times and the man always was hard to talk to and always argued with him. So finally, uh, she came to him one more time she said, I want you to come over and have supper at our house. And I, would you please talk to my husband? I, I want him to get saved. And he said, he talked to her. He said, look, we've been through this innumerable, innumerable times. You know, we've just gone through this over and over again. He said, I really don't see the point. She begged him. So he said, okay, I'll be there. So it's on a Saturday night. She had... She prepared supper, they ate supper, and the men retired to the den and talked for a little while, and the pastor tried to give him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, tried to win him to Christ, and the man would argue with him uh, and uh, question uh, the Bible and, and just totally un uncooperative. And so finally, uh, after they kept going back and forth, back and forth, so finally Dr. Gray said, I'm, I'm just going to... He said, the man would say something to him, and he say, and the pastor just came back with this. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is, is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The man would say something to him. He said, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. And that went on for a while, just back and forth. That one verse, he just said, he that believeth is not condemned. Every time the man would come back and say something uh, derogatory or, or an argument, he'd say, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, they gave it up. Pastor went home, went to bed. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning. Ring, ring, ring. His phone's ringing. Oh, he rolls over and he picks it up. Hello? It was that man. He said, Dr. Bob, we got to talk. And he said, what about? And the man said, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the only begotten Son of God. He went over there and the guy got saved. He was home sleeping and the Word of God was over there working. It always does. You're right. So I can say one thing with confidence here tonight that everyone here is identified with Christ. We did this 
verses 16 through 18. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, everybody that we look at is identified with Christ. Everywhere you go. Huh? Yeah. They're either his blood-bought possession or they're one that nailed him to the cross. We're all identified with Christ. Every person on the face of the earth. We need to remember that. And we need to be reaching out to the ones that don't know Christ as Savior. It's hard to imagine being cast into the lake of fire and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and that the smoke and ever. But you know, I wonder, uh, are all y'all secure about what happened to Nicodemus? I mean, this was a nice story. How can a man be born, uh, born again when he's old? You know, he, he wanted to know. He, he came to him and wanted to learn some things. And the Lord Jesus told him how to be saved. What happened to him? Huh? He got saved. Hmm? He got saved. Huh? Go to John chapter 19. He got saved. Hallelujah. John 19 and verse 38. And after this, they're talking about uh, after the crucifixion. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. Hallelujah, there he is. <laughs> and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. That was a lot of money. A lot of money. He was put, and he wasn't afraid. Who knew it this time? Then took, then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because, the Jews because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. He came to claim the body. Yeah, I think you got saved. Amen. And God always lets you know the rest of the story. In fact, we know the rest of the, all the story, don't we? We know Revelation. All you got to do is open it up and read it. We're going through it now. So, amen. John chapter 3. I love it. We need to be out there. You know, the... We need to be out there showing the power of the Holy Spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. 
So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We need to be different. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We need to be about our Father's business. Why? Well, the Lord Jesus told us in John chapter 10, he said in verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He's given us eternal life. What do we have to fear? We need to get out there and tell people about Jesus. I'm glad to see a lot of folks going out on visitation. This Saturday, I'm going to be there. But glory to God. What a Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we can all be sure of our salvation, right? That's what Paul said, make, make your calling and election, your election and calling sure. We just need to be sure where we're standing. We need to be standing on, on solid ground here. And uh, I love uh, Spurgeon's testimony. And if you look at many of his sermons, that look keeps coming back in them. In all of his writings and all of his sermons, he never forgot that day he looked. So let's get ready. We're, it, I'm going to let y'all, uh, it's time to quit. Oh, excuse me, I'm about to get to then again. We're going to be, we'll be, still be going then from last week. All right, Father, we thank you for your word. First and foremost, we thank you that you did love the world, that you loved us, and that you gave your only begotten son so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a home in heaven. And we just thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that we'd show it by our lives, that others would be able to see Jesus in us. Help us to show forth the light that you've given us. And I pray as we get together for our prayer time, Lord, that you just guide us through thy spirit and help us to pray. Sometimes we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself will guide us. So, I pray, Lord, that you just meet with us here. In Jesus' name we pray for his sake. Amen. Amen.